Hey, would you guys do a favor for me? I don't know if you realize this, but we have a phenomenal worship team and a phenomenal worship pastor who puts together such awesome and diverse and beautiful music. So would you just flood David and our other worship team members with some thanks and some emails and some texts this week? Because seriously, it's so good. I was sitting there worshiping. Ah, oh, thank you guys. Thank you guys. And you, you, you guys know this, but like, mandolin and we have an accordion sometime and David builds his own guitars. Ah, I just, I love worshiping together. I know it's hard for you. You're sitting on your sofa where you normally watch Netflix. I know it's hard and it's different to worship virtually, uh, but I just encourage you to keep hanging in there. And even though it's hard and different, keep leaning in to worshiping God together as a community. Um, I'm really glad that we're together, and I'm really glad that I get to preach right now from Acts chapters 3 and 4. If you want to go there in your Bibles, uh, or if you want to open the Bible app, click the menu button, Events, Centennial Covenant Church. Uh, you can see where we're going to be in Acts chapters 3 and 4. Uh, we're in a sermon series right now. The series is called One, and that's because the book of Acts talks about the one God, who has one church. God gives that church one mission, which becomes the one focus of all of our lives. And this whole first part of our sermon series, we're focusing on what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be the one church that God has put in the world? And I want to kind of summarize uh, what we've talked about so far, as well as point towards where we're going today. Here's what we've talked about. The church is a community of people who, through repentance and baptism, live lives empowered by the Holy Spirit and devoted to scripture, community, generosity, and prayer. That's where we've been. Where we're going today is that the details of their stories, the people in the church, the details of their stories demonstrates the power of God. And here's what I'm going to challenge you to say right now. Maybe, you know, maybe your kids are going to throw a coup before the end of the sermon. Uh, maybe you're going to fall asleep on the couch. I don't know what's going to happen. So if you miss the rest, here's the punchline of today's sermon. The details of your story, the story of your life, demonstrates God's power. And the challenge is going to be, do you know your story and are you willing to share your story with others? That's where we're going. We're talking today about story because story is a powerful thing. Here's what I want you to do. Think for just a second. Think back in your life through your memory. And I want you to answer this question. Who, who's a person, maybe a friend, maybe a family member, maybe an acquaintance, maybe a colleague, who's a person that you would say, that person's story has impacted my life? Who is it? Who comes to your mind? I mean, we know that stories are powerful. I, I know that when I came to faith uh, at summer camp, Part of the reason I came to faith was because every night we gather together at campfire and somebody would tell a story. And I still remember the stories that were told around campfire that shaped 
my faith. Another story that came to my mind, I remember the first time I was really old enough to be aware of my grandfather's story. And I remember sitting at my grandpa's dining room table with him and my grandma. And my grandpa was sharing just a few small bits of his story. He shared how he grew up uh, on a farm in southern Minnesota, a farm that still to this day is in the Helvig family. Uh, We've been there for uh, well over 100 years. And my grandpa was one of the first people to leave the farm and go to university, one of the first people in his family. And then my grandpa started sharing about, um, after university, uh, World War II began. And my grandpa, reflecting on his experience of the war, shared how he was a little, had some regret because he didn't go to fight in the war when many of his friends had gone to fight, and he felt a little bit of regret or maybe even shame about that. And then I remember my grandma cut him off and said, hold on, hold on, hold on. You got a chemical engineering degree. And yes, you didn't fight in the war, but you worked at the plant that built the first synthetic rubber tires. And those tires were put on all of the American Uh, military vehicles that got sent around the world. And my grandma kind of scolded my grandpa and said, you were part of the war just like so many people. And that story still sticks in my mind. It was part of what led me to study chemistry for a long time in my life. I loved my grandpa and respected him and wanted to follow in his footsteps. And that's just one small example from my life. And hopefully that's prompted some Memories are examples from your lives of what we all know that stories are powerful. Hold on to that image. Hold on to whatever story has come to your mind. And uh, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to read a story from the book of Acts. The book of Acts is filled with stories that dozens, if not hundreds, if not in some cases, thousands of people saw with their own eyes experienced standing there and stories that have been transforming the lives of people for generation after generation. We're going to read a story from the book of Acts and after that we're going to reflect on the significance of that story and I'm going to challenge you to then reflect on the significance of your story as well. So let's go now to Acts chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. And the words are all going to be on the screen. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly 
The man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So the story goes. Peter and John are going to the temple. Now, if you've been around uh, the Bible much, the New Testament much, you know that the temple, we are in Jerusalem, and the temple is the center of the ancient Jewish faith. Going to the temple was something that every Jewish person with regularity did in their lives. And going to the temple was always one of the most important things you could do in your life as a Jewish person. And as Peter and John, two of the leaders in the ancient church, as Peter and John are going to the temple, we know uh, from the rest of Acts, we know that they're going to the temple because they're going to participate in prayer and they're also going to preach the name of Jesus. And when they go to the temple, it says, he saw Peter and John and he asked them for money. So at the beginning of this man's story, what we find is he is not given a name. We learn a little later that he's actually been lame from birth and he's been begging as a way to survive for 40 years. And here's the conclusion we have to make. This unnamed beggar who cannot walk, according to society, is a nobody. They don't even know his name. And he sits at the temple gate and probably is ignored and passed by and forgotten by the majority of people on the majority of the days of his life. We're about to hear the story of a person who, according to society, is an absolute nobody. But something significant happens. See, as crowds go to the temple every single day, and probably as lots of the people in those crowds might pass this man by, we read in the story that Peter and John did not pass him by, but they stopped and they looked directly at the man. Both Peter and John gave this man their attention, and that's significant because it challenges us to pause and consider who do we give our attention to in our lives? We live in a world full of bling and glitter and excitement, and it's so easy to only give our attention to all of the eye-catching things out there, but Peter and John turned their attention to a man otherwise forgotten by the world around him. And the man notices, because it says that the moment Peter and John looked at him, he took notice, and he assumed that they were going to give him some money. The implication is everybody passes by and ignores him, but those few people who stop and notice him might be the few people who provide for his livelihood every day. And as we just read, Peter and John say, we have no silver and gold, but what we do have, we give to you. And in the name of Jesus, who defeated death itself, 
they say to the man, get up and walk. Now, I want to point out a couple things. First of all, this miraculous healing might sound incredible, even unbelievable to our modern ears. But here's the thing that I want you to remember. Miraculous healings like this would have sounded incredible to ancient ears as well. People did not believe that miraculous healing was just a normal everyday occurrence. And as a matter of fact, the ancient Roman Empire, the ancient Jewish political authority, we're going to meet more of them in a second, all would have had abundant reason to discredit stories like this. They would have loved to prove this never happened, except for one problem. Dozens, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of people saw it happen. And no matter what lies or propaganda the Roman government or the Jewish authority put out, they could not disprove what Luke tells us in Acts most certainly happened. The man stood up and walked. But the second interesting thing is we just talked about how the early Christian community had a meal together every single day, sometimes in homes, sometimes in the temple courts, and there were thousands of people in the Christian community, and they worked hard to make sure that every single person had at least one meal every single day. <laughs> so it strikes me as funny. Peter and John said, we don't have any silver and gold to give you, but we'll have you stand up and walk. But what's going to happen is this man now becomes a part of the church which means now this man's going to get fed by the church every day. That, to me, sounds a lot like the silver and gold he was asking for in the first place. So he's healed, and then we get this unnamed man's response. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Now, we might miss it, but at this point in the story, there's a little bit of tension that gets added to the narrative. Because remember, they're in the temple courts, the center of the ancient Jewish faith. And Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, prophesied by God as the one God would send to set the world to right. But, as you probably know, it was the Jewish leadership that crucified Jesus, and it was the Jewish leadership that did not like that all of these early Jesus followers were proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And now, they have a man who everybody at the temple has seen every day they've gone, cannot walk, and he's walking around literally jumping and praising God. And not just praising God in a general sense, but praising God that Jesus healed his legs. And sure enough, we find out that when all the people in the temple court see him, when they saw him walking and praising God, they were filled with wonder. Now that word wonder is significant. Why? Because at this time in the story, there's still disagreement about whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead, about whether or not Jesus actually was the Jewish Messiah. And Peter and John went to the temple to convince all the Jewish people there to bow down and worship Jesus as their Messiah. And now this man, unnamed, 
passed by, is leaping around them, praising the name of Jesus. Well, as you can imagine, the Jewish authorities are not happy. Now, I want to remind you of some vocabulary. There was a group of leaders in the ancient Jewish church called the Sanhedrin. Think for a second, sort of um, Supreme Court meets the Pope in one group where political authority and judicial authority and religious authority all get combined together. And the Sanhedrin has the power to enact law among the Jewish people. Well, we're going to find out that because Peter and John healed this lame man, and because the lame man is preaching the name of Jesus, and Peter and John are preaching the name of Jesus, thousands of people are committing their lives to follow Jesus. Well, the Sanhedrin doesn't like that very much. Now, at this point, we're in Acts chapter 4, and if you want to follow along in Acts chapter 4, go ahead and do that. But I'm just going to summarize this part of the story and highlight a few verses. So the Sanhedrin find out, and they're not happy about this, so they have Peter and John arrested. And they bring Peter and John before their high court, the Sanhedrin. And we find out not only are the Sanhedrin there, but the high priest is there. All of the big dogs are present. I mean, these are the most powerful men in all of the ancient Jewish world. And the most powerful men have arrested Peter and John, followers of Jesus, and they're about to start questioning Peter and John about this man who was healed, who until yesterday was completely unknown, and we still don't even get his name. So the Sanhedrin, they say to Peter and John, by what power or what name did you do this? Now, when they asked that, here's the answer they wanted. The Sanhedrin knew the answer, and this is the answer they wanted. They wanted Peter and John to say, we do this by the name of God, the name of Yahweh, the name of the Lord, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Sanhedrin wanted the good Jewish answer. <laughs> but Peter and John aren't interested in doing what these bullies are pressuring them to do. Peter and John give the answer that they know to be true. They say, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and if we are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Think about this for a second. If you'd been in Jerusalem the day before this happened, and if you'd walked by the temple gates like so many people, and if you'd come upon this beggar whose name you didn't know, whom thousands of people passed by, and if you'd asked that beggar, hey, excuse me, sir, tell me, what's the significance of the story of your life? 
If you'd ask them that, I mean, this isn't in the text. This is just me reflecting on what I'm seeing. If you'd asked this man, he'd have said, you know what? I, I don't know if my life has much significance. I, I, I depend on people to lay me here every day, and I, and I have to ask for food. And, and, and we know that that is a challenging. It requires courage and fortitude to do that. But, but I can imagine this man, after 40 years, might have been discouraged. But the same man who may have the day beforehand thought his life story had no power, just now found out that the story of his life was now impacting the most powerful Jewish leaders in the world of that time. So what we realize is even though this is an unnamed beggar, his story demonstrated God's power to many, many people. And here's what I want us to consider. What we're going to see in the book of Acts, and really as we study scripture from cover to cover, what we find is that in the same way that this one man's story demonstrated God's power, the invitation of Scripture is for you to recognize this truth. In the exact same way that his story demonstrated God's power, your story demonstrates God's power. Your story, the story of your life, is designed to demonstrate God's power. Think about that. Your story. God's power. Now, I imagine there might be some objections, and let me just guess some of the objections you might have to this comparison right now. Objection number one. Okay, hold on, Carl. Hold on, hold on, hold on. That sounds all nice, but the difference is, for this unnamed beggar, he was miraculously healed. I mean, that's incredible. Of course, his story is going to impact others' lives. Okay, let me make a, just a brief comment on the history of miracles throughout church. Yes, in Scripture are many stories of miraculous things. It starts with a miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are some before that, but for the church, it starts with a miracle of the resurrection. And as the good news of life in Christ spreads... Often, we see whenever the news of Christ breaks into a new city, a new community, a new culture, a new language, that new expression of the gospel often comes with miracles and healings. Because I think miracles still happen. They can happen. They do happen. However, what we also see throughout church history, is that placed right next to the miraculous things God does in the world, there are also many, many people, probably a majority, whose lives seem otherwise normal. And the unanimous testimony of history is that the power of God to work through the story of your life is equal regardless of whether there's a miraculous healing or your life feels otherwise normal and uneventful. The majority of the work of the church happens when normal people live their normal lives with the courage 
of God's power through them, not needing to live up to some standard that we see here. So the fact is, while this miraculous story is exciting and fun to tell, and and I bet you do the same thing, I know I do the same thing as well, we look around and we hear people give testimonies. You know, they say things like, oh, my life was so broken, I was addicted, I was lonely, I was deep in depression, but, but after that came out of the pits, God healed me and, and miraculously changed the life. And, and we like those stories, the excitement and the drama is, is awesome. But the truth is, your story doesn't need to be exciting for God's power to work through it. Because every person's story, regardless of its details, God can and will use it to demonstrate his power. So think about this for a second. The beginning, I invited you to to think of one of these stories. Like me and my grandpa, call to mind right now the story that's impacted your life. Who is it? Call to mind the name and the face. Maybe if, like me, you remember where you were when you first heard it, call to mind the image of that scene. You know, I was sitting around the dining room table. I can picture the carved backs of the chairs of my grandparents' dining room. And I want you to feel for a second what you felt when you heard that story and it impacted your life. Really, go there right now in your imagination. Feel for a second the way that this story maybe altered the direction of your life. This story maybe gave you courage and strength when you were feeling depleted. This story maybe gave you hope and, and, and uh, a desire to go on when otherwise you felt like giving up. Feel for a second the significance. I hope you're doing that. I hope you remember just how powerful other people's stories have been in your life. As I reflect on Acts 3 and 4, here's what I want you to consider today. As you remember the power of other stories, the power of sort of their stories on your life, here's what I want you to think. Just like their story impacted your life, God intends your story to impact lives. God doesn't need your story to be anything except what it actually is. And if you are willing to faithfully share your story about how God has been present in your life, then God will use it to demonstrate his power, not because of whether you think it's good enough or exciting enough or dramatic enough, but because God has chosen to show his power in this way. Just like someone else's story has powerfully impacted your life, God intends for your story to impact lives. So here's what I want you to do. I've got a few kind of takeaways. First, we've talked about this a ton of times in the history of Centennial Covenant Church. And there's an activity um, many of us have done. It's called the spiritual timeline. You might have done it at a discovery retreat. You might have done it at the Awaken and Activate seminars. 
It involved a huge piece of cardboard and all these sticky notes. If you ever did that as part of this church, please go home, pull that time light out, and remember just how powerfully you have seen God at work in your life. Second, if, that, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's fine. I put two resources on the church website. You can get them right on the front page of the website. One is a discussion guide for our life groups. The second is just a little tool to think about your story. And here's what both of those are going to invite you to do. They're going to invite you to recognize that, like we've said, the power of the Holy Spirit and the devotion to Scripture, community, generosity, prayer, those are the core components of the church. So take these two tools, a study guide or a, or a worksheet, and let them prompt you to consider where have these core components of the church been powerful in my life? And let these tools guide you to recognize the parts of your story that God just might want you to share with others. Get your timeline, engage some of these resources, and here's the third and final one. If you can acknowledge, yeah, I know my story. I don't need to defend it or explain it. It doesn't need to live up to some standard. I just need to know this is my story. It's your story. You're the only person in the world who has it. If you know your story, then the final question is, are you willing to share it? Would you start looking for opportunities to simply share your story of God's work in your life, trusting, not that your story meets some standard, but trusting that because of God's work, stories are powerful. Your story in God's hand is powerful. Would you look for the chance to share that story so that God's power might be known. Pray with me. God, thank you for this story from Scripture, and we just acknowledge that sometimes the stories in Scripture can feel far away because they are from a different time and a different place and a different language. So God, I ask that as we read your words here today, that these ancient stories might give us the knowledge of the power of your presence right here and right now. And God, may we stop making any excuses, but start eagerly sharing our stories of your presence in our lives, knowing that you demonstrate your power through us. And this we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.